I received a text uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, from one of the men of our church, and he asked me this question. He said, should I wear a Teflon suit to church tomorrow? You know what he was saying. Like, am I going to come to church and get pummeled by the pastor? Is the pastor going to beat me up again? I'm not going to beat you up today. As a matter of fact, we have an amazing message of grace that I believe that God has for every man and every woman, for every person that's here today. But in honor of the reading God's word, I want you to stand with me as we read 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 7, and they're going to read Acts chapter 13, one verse, verse number 22. 2 Samuel chapter 9, beginning with verse number 1. You can read it off the screen. You can read it off your Bible, on your iPhone, iPad, old school, however you do it today. 2 Samuel 9, beginning with verse number 1. And David asked, David was the greatest king that ever lived in Israel. He was the second king of Israel, and he was an amazing guy. The Bible says, and David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. And they summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. And the king asked, if, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, there's still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Everyone say, lame in both feet. He is lame in both feet. Well, where is he, the king asked. And Ziba answered, he is at the house of Mekerson of Amil in Lodibar. Everyone say Lodibar. And verse number six. And so King David brought it, verse five. So King David brought it, brought him from Lodibar, from the house of Makar. When Mephibosheth, everyone say Mephibosheth three times real fast. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, and he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore. Everyone say restore. Restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. One more verse, Acts chapter 13, verse number 22. Paul the apostle, this is maybe a thousand, thousand years or so after King David lived. Paul the apostle is preaching a message to the church, and he's talking to them about Saul and about David. And he says, God, after removing Saul, he made David the, the king of Israel. And God testified concerning him. I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. A man after my own heart. Man after my own heart. This morning I want to speak to you on the topic. Surprised by God's grace. Surprised by God's grace. Father, bless your word. The declaration of it. The proclamation of it. Thank you for every person that's here today. Give them a spiritual ear to hear. And let us leave this place changed. Because your amazing grace. and your wonderful name. Amen. You may be seated. Saul was an unusual guy. As a matter of fact, the Bible said that Saul was a great man. He was a handsome man. He was a tall man. He was a rugged man. He had been called by God to be the leader of the people of Israel. I want to give you a little background to the story of, of David and Mephibosheth. Saul was the grandfather of this young man by the name of Mephibosheth. 
Saul had been called by God at a young age, and he'd been anointed by the prophet Samuel to be king. And Saul stepped into his destiny, and he served God well for a short period of time. But here's the deal. It's not how you start the race of faith. It's how you finish the race of faith. Somewhere along the line, Saul got off course. Saul no longer thought that it was about God, but that it was about him, his privilege and his position and who he was as a man of power. Saul got detoured. Saul got detoured, and at some point in his life, he was literally far from God, far from serving the purposes of God. Saul had a son by the name of Jonathan. Jonathan was also a great man. Jonathan was great for a different reason. See, uh, Jonathan had a friend, his very best friend. His name was David. Jonathan was loyal to David. He he, He was in what some have called a covenant relationship. They, they, they literally would die for one another. They would bleed for one another. I don't know if you remember when you were a kid. Maybe you didn't do this, but when I was a kid, we used to, we used to have this thing like you'd cut your finger, and then your buddy would cut his finger, and then you'd rub your fingers together, and we were called Indian Brothers. Anybody ever do that before? Going like the blood, like this blood brother, con, <laughs> this contract that you would make. I know that's gross, but little boys do gross things. You know that? They eat boogers and pick up bugs and dead things, and little boys just do that, and but Jonathan and David were best friends. As a matter of fact, David told Jonathan, he, he, he said, Jonathan, he said, no matter what happens in your life, I'm going to take care of you and your family. Jonathan was such a humble man, he recognized that the call of God, the anointing of God to be king over Israel wasn't on him, but it was on his best friend David. Saul and Jonathan in a battle because Saul was no longer seeking after God. Now Saul was actually seeking witches to to get a word from God. Saul and Jonathan were both killed in battle. And this leads us to David. David is an amazing man. I mean, we know David. He was a great warrior, right? We know David as a warrior. Young man out in, the, out in the fields watching his father's sheep as a shepherd. A lion comes. He destroys the lion. He literally rips the lion's mouth open with his bare hand. A bear comes. He does the same thing. And at the age of 17, David encounters his first battle with another human being. It's a man by the name of Goliath. 10 feet tall, giant of a man, a Philistine who would mock and blaspheme not only the name of God, but of God's chosen people. And at the age of 17, when no one else is willing to step up, this young man would step up and he would not only take this giant down, but with one stone, he would drop him to the ground and then run over and he would cut his head off with Goliath's sword. Everyone said David was bad. He was one bad dude. He was a warrior. He was a great warrior, but he was also a great friend. He loved David. I mean, he loved Jonathan. He had very people that he was close to. He was very loyal to them. He was willing to do whatever it took. Uh, He was a great warrior and a great friend, but he was also a man, you know, we know of weaknesses. If you read the story of David through 1 and 2 Samuel, you'll, you'll see there were times that he aligned himself with the wrong relationships. Sometimes he made bad choices about the people that he hung out with. And and at one point of his life, he made a bad decision about his relationship. And it cost him a year and a half of his destiny. Got off track. He was weak in their relationships. He was at times weak as a father. I, I mean, several of his kids went sideways on him. And his own son, Absalom, tried to kill him. Tried to usurp the throne. David wasn't a perfect father. 
He got distracted with work and the busyness of being this man pursuing the destiny in God's life, and he didn't take care of things at home. David was also weak in the area concerning women. You know the story. It's the most famous story, the most famous affair almost in all of human history. I was actually watching a movie the other night on TMC, the old movie channel, and they were showing this movie from the 1940s on David and Bathsheba, the affair that David had with this woman. David didn't have an affair with one woman. He had many affairs. He was weak in the area of this relationship with women. But let me tell you, in the courts of heaven today, in the courts of heaven today, and throughout human history, this is how we should view David. We should see David as a worshiper. The Bible says that David went into the presence of God and he began to worship the Lord. And when God looked down on heaven, he didn't see his past. He didn't see his sin. He didn't see his failures. What he saw was a heart of worship. The Bible says that as a matter of fact, he was a man who was willing to do all of God's will. A man after God's own heart. We want to label people. We want to put brokenness on people. And yes, David failed, but God didn't see him that way. God saw David as a man who needed grace, a man who needed grace. And when we look at this story in 2 Samuel chapter 9, it's not a normal Father's Day message, the, 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 the message of Mephibosheth. But Mephibosheth is an interesting character. Mephibosheth represents to you and I what it's like when our lives are far from God. Uh, uh, Mephibosheth shows us today our condition before grace became a reality. Look at verse number one with me. Uh, verse number three. And the Bible says, then the king David asked, is there still no one alive from the house of Saul to whom God's I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. He is lame in both feet. Wow. I mean, you think about this. Listen, Ziba didn't call him Mephibosheth. His name actually wasn't even Mephibosheth. His, his name was Meribah. Uh, Ziba and all the people around Mephibosheth were no longer identifying him by his birth name, but now they were identifying him by his brokenness, being lame in both feet. Do you know how he became lame? At the age of five, in the very last battle that Saul and Jonathan would fight together, they were both killed. And fear spread to the house of Saul, and, and uh, Mephibosheth's housemaid, or his, his nanny, or his nurse, picked him up and began to run to hide him because she was afraid they were going to come and kill him. And as she was running, the Bible says she stumbled, she dropped him, and something happened, and he broke or he damaged both of his feet. When David asked, is there anyone that I can show grace to? Is there anyone that I can show God's kindness to? The word kindness in the Hebrew is hesed. It literally means uh, this, this concept that you and I get grace from, undeserved, unmerited favor of God. I actually wrote down grace is the unconditional love of God towards a person who does not deserve it. That's God's grace. Is there anyone that I can show kindness to? Ziba identifies him as a man who is broken, a man who is lame in both feet. Do you know today that we're broken? Every person in this room, Romans 6.23 says, all have sinned. Everyone say all. Have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. 
Paul the apostle to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says it like this. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Everyone sinned. I, I still, I, I like, Adam, why? Why? Because once sin entered to the world, you became lame in both feet. You have propensities. You have weaknesses. You have things in your life and your personality that are askew, that aren't right. You, you have a, a, with inside of you, because we are all sinners, we have this nature of Adam now in us. We, we now have this propensity not to turn to God, but to turn from God, to live our own life, to live our own way. And when we live our own life and we live our own way, we enter brokenness into our world. This man, Zeba, identified him. He did, identified him as a man, a man who was broken, who had fallen. We've all fallen in this room. And here's the deal. When we are in a fallen state, we are far from God. Everyone say far from God. We are far from God. Look what he says here in verse number four. Zeb, when David asked Zeba where he's at, Zeba said, he is at the house of Mackerson of Emil and Lodibar. Lodibar. Everyone say Lodibar. Lodibar literally means the place of wasteland, a desert land, lack or poverty. When you read these Old Testament stories, you will see over and over and over again, names are given, not even necessarily the name of that individual. Like we know that, that Mephibosheth's name wasn't lame of feet or shame of mouth. It wasn't Mephibosheth. His name literally was Meribah, one who would destroy Baal. Lod Lodabar was a, a city, a community that was in the wasteland area of the Palestinians. It was an area that was broken. It was an area that was in lack. It was in poverty. He was far from Jerusalem where King David ruled. He was far from Jerusalem where the house of God was. He was far from the king. You and I today, when we are not in right relationship with God, we are far from him. But let me tell you something. We might be far from the king. We might personally be far from him, but the king and his grace is never far from us. Come on, I want you to hear this today. The king and, the, and his grace is never far from us. Paul the apostle to the church at Ephesus writes it like this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, listen guys, this is the deal. Don't forget, don't forget that you were Gentiles and you used to be outsiders. And in those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises of God. When you were far from him, when you weren't in relationship with him, you didn't know his grace. You didn't know his forgiveness. You didn't know his joy. You didn't know his love. You didn't know his peace. You didn't know his hope. He didn't know his promises. You lived in this world without God, without God, and without hope. Without Christ, there is no hope. Without Christ, our world lives in a place of gloom and despair. I mean, just look at the world that you and I live in. There is so much fear, fear of the future, fear of the unknown. Someone once said that fear is false evidence that appears real. 
I, I, I mean, in verse number seven, I want you to see what happens here. Mephibosheth is called into the presence of the king. He's called to come before the king, and immediately the king says to him, do not be afraid. We live in fear of our future. I mean, the economy in America is doing the best that it's ever done in its history just about. It's an amazing thing that's happening in many fronts. But if you listen to the talking heads on CNBC or Fox Business News or, or, on Wall, or read the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times business section, there's this underlying fear that it's all going to collapse at any moment. There, there are, there's this tension in our culture because there are this nuclear proliferation that's taking place among rogue states and, and these people, crazy people, who we don't know what their intent is, could possibly fire off a nuclear weapon and annihilate thousands of people. And there's this fear that at any moment it could take place. You read in the papers. You hear it broadcast from the nightly news. You hear it in your own voice at times. The economy is doing good now, but I don't know about the future. We live in fear. We hoard. We're, we're, we're afraid to release and live a life of generosity because we don't know if we'll have enough money for tomorrow. So we build bigger bank accounts and we try to develop strategies to keep us from having failures and faults and these things that will lead to insecurities in our life. I, 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 I know today what this fear is like. I, I had this uh, experience on Friday. My youngest son we sent to New York and uh, I put him on a plane. We drove down to the airport, put him on a plane. And the last thing I said is I said, Keenan, make sure you text me the moment you land. I want to know that you got there safe. And, so, and by the way, how are you going to get to Alex's house at 12 o'clock in the morning in Brooklyn, New York? How are you going to get there from LaGuardia to Brooklyn? Uh, he said, well, I'm going to take this train. I said, no, why don't you just take Uber? It'll be safer for you. You know why? Because I'm afraid. I'm a dad. I can feel that inside. I'm just thinking, oh, God, help this boy. He's got, you know, he's already spent a summer in Rome by himself without mom and dad. He's already working down with the big boys down in downtown Orlando. He's already saving money and paying his bills and living his life. But I'm a dad. I'm a dad. And you know that feeling, parent, concerned about your kids. Maybe it's a founded, founded wisdom at times, but I found that many of us live in a state of fear. Mephibosheth was in a place of fear. And David said, do not be afraid. Do you know why he was afraid? Because he knew David. He knew David was a just man, a righteous man. David was not just a man of God. David was a politician. And he was a smart, astute politician. And he had no plans on giving up his kingship. He knew that it was his destiny. He knew that it was what God had called him to do. And he was going to protect that. He was going to make sure that there was no one going to come in and take over or abdicate the throne from him. Saul had a bunch of kids, not just Jonathan. Jonathan and David were loyal. They were best friends. They were buds. But Saul had a bunch of other kids. And they all feel the same about David. And they wanted to take him out. And 3,000 years ago in the, in the Far East, when one king or one individual would take over another land, the way that they would take care of their political enemies is they would assassinate them. Uh, you know, we, we talk about, I mean, it happens all over the world today. It just maybe not in the Western democracies because we're supposedly a little more refined. We've only killed 150 million people in the last century, but we're just a little more refined, supposedly. Crazy. 
But it, it still happens in countries today. One king will come in and he'll take everybody, everybody else in that other family. Kim Jong-un, this guy that Trump is trying to negotiate a peace deal with. That's how he deals with his enemies. Just drops a bomb, wipes them out, kills them. They disappear. Uh, David had some people disappear. And Mephibosheth knew that David was going to protect the throne ship. And so Mephibosheth was afraid for his life. Fear. He had fear. He just, he did. Look what David says to him. Do not be afraid. Surely I showed kind, I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. That's the kindness of God towards us. We were worthy. Pastor Glenn mentioned it when he was giving us the exhortation at the worship time. The fact is you and I, we lived as enemies of God. Our sin, our rebellion, our brokenness was deserving of the punishment and the penalty of death. It's what Christ died on the cross. He became our substitute. He paid the penalty. He paid the price. He paid a debt he did not owe so that I, you and I, could experience the grace and the love of an amazing God. Someone said amen. Because here's the deal. Grace seeks you and I out today. Grace seeks you and I out. Is there anyone that I can still bless, that I can still show kindness to for the sake of Jonathan? Is there anyone? Is there anyone today? See, when Christ left heaven's glory, when the Father sent his one and only begotten Son, what he was doing is he was seeking to give you and I grace. Luke chapter 19, verse number 10, says it like this, For the Son of Man, the Son of Man came to find lost people, which is all of us. All of us have been lost. To find lost people and to save them. See, King David initiated this relationship with Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth didn't do anything. He was laying flaming feet. He was out in the wilderness. He was in a place of poverty, in a place of brokenness. He was far from the king. And the king initiated this relationship. He called him to his house. He called him to his table. In John chapter 6, the Bible, Jesus says it like this. Jesus replied, for no one can come to me. No one can come to Christ unless the Father who sent me draws me, draws them to me. See, God initiated that work. God started that work. God Finish that work on Calvary's tree. God's grace seeks after you and I. It's the grace of God. Mephibosheth wasn't worthy. He didn't deserve it. But God's grace came to him because, see, God desires his best for every single person on planet Earth. The apostle Peter said it like this. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would turn to repentance and come to a knowledge of the Savior, his son, Jesus Christ. God desires the best for every single one of us. David said, is there still not a man in Saul's house? Is still still not a man that I can show the kindness of God to? In Jeremiah chapter 9, verse number 23, the prophet Jeremiah says this. Look at these words here. This is what the Lord says. This is what God says. But let the one who boasts, boast about this that they have the understanding to know me, to know God, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, 
justice and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight. Delight. God desires in showing you kindness today. God desires in pouring out his grace upon us. God's grace seeks you and I. We sing that song. I love that song that we're singing right now. You know, he chases me down. He kicks the door down because Jesus said the good shepherd would lead the 99 to find one. That's called grace, folks. That's the grace of God. Grace desires only the best for you. God's grace speaks your name, calls you by name. Look at verse number 6. The Bible says, and David said, Mephibosheth. The name Mephibosheth literally means a mouth of shame or out of the mouth of shame. You think about this. This man, Mephibosheth, had lame feet, couldn't provide for himself, couldn't take care of himself. And David invites him to his table, and he calls him by his name. You see, your ex might call you a name, <laughs> but it ain't a good name. The boss that fired you might call you a name, but it isn't your name. Your coworker, your neighbor, they might call you a name. Your next door neighbor who you haven't been getting along with, they might call you a name. But God calls you by his name. God calls you by his name. Isaiah, listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah. Jerusalem, the nations will see your goodness, and all the kings will see your glory. Then you will have a new name. Everyone say new name. Which the Lord God himself will give you. <laughs> the world might call you diseased. The world might call you depressed. The world might call you drug addicted. The world might call you whatever they want to call you. Whatever, it, whatever the slander, the liar, the enemy of your soul will try to put on you today. And if you're not careful, you will listen to those labels. You will listen to the lies and the labels of the enemy. And you will walk around life like Mephibosheth, lame in feet and feet, living under the shame and the guilt of your failure. But let me tell you today, God has called you by name, and it's a new name. It's the name of a child of God. It's a name who, of one who has been redeemed. I am redeemed. I am saved. I am forgiven. I am full of the life of God. I am a child of God today. I got a new name. I've been redeemed. I've been paid for by the work of Christ on Calvary's tree. I got a new name today. My name is Maribel, a destroyer bell, one who lives as a victor. I am, Paul says, more than a conqueror. See, God desires your best today. God desires for you to walk in this new name, this new name. And then ultimately, grace gives you and I a perfect, preferred future. And in verse number seven, we've read this but you got to see this again. And David said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. David was a promise keeper. Men, what attracted God to David is he a man who would keep his promises. I will show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore. Everyone say restore. 
restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. The heart of God in Genesis, when that which was lost was a place of presence and perfection and relationship and intimacy with God because of one man and one woman's choice of sin. God said, I'll restore. All the way back in the very beginning, in the beginning of time, when God made mankind in his image, he made, made them free. He made them live to live an abundant life and a blessed life. Listen, hear me today. As a matter of fact, God left a promise with us thousands of years ago when he said this to the woman, you will birth a child in pain, but that child will come out and he will crush the head of the serpent. Do you know why? Because it's been the heart and the plan of God before the foundation of the world to restore you and I, to restore us to our purpose, to restore us to our destiny, to restore us to the plan that he has for us. And Jeremiah says that the plans has for you are good to prosper you to give you a future to give you a hope someone said amen god will restore he's in the restoration business he wants to restore your life he wants to restore your sense of purpose significance and meaning you have significance in god we search for it in jobs we search for it in relationships we search for it in all kinds of things but god said i created you for my purpose I created you for my purpose. If your desire today is to have the life that's truly abundant, you got to know today that God's grace, God's grace is for you to have a preferred future. Preferred future. Uh, uh, When David invited him to his table, he said, listen, Mephibosheth, I'm going to restore the land. Your grandfather was a wealthy man. Your grandfather had a lot of houses and homes. Your your grandfather was a man who had many possessions, and I'm going to restore to you. See, God's promised today that he's going to restore to you all that the enemy has tried to steal. You might have had failed relationships in the past of your life. God says, I want to restore you. I want to make those relationships new. He not only restores our land, but the Bible says when he brought him to the king's table, you will always eat at my table you will always eat you will always eat at my table look at joel chapter 2 the bible says in the book of joel i will pay you back for those years of trouble the enemy caused trouble in your life the enemy has caused all kinds of brokenness and pain but god says i will pay you back for those years and then you will have plenty to eat and you will be full you will praise the name of the lord your god who has done miracles everyone say miracles come on he's the god of miracles for you he's never changed Hear me today. He's the God of miracles that's working in the smallest details of your life. You will never live a life of shame. You will never live a life of shame. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I mean, the enemy constantly wants to bring up to me my past. Come on, the enemy constantly wants to bring up all the times you failed last week. The enemy constantly wants to bring up all the failures, the mistakes, and the miscues of your life. But all you got to do when Satan comes to you and tries to remind you of the shame and the brokenness of your past, you say, devil, you know what, you might be right, but let me tell you today, I'm a new creation, and I know where I'm going. I know my future, and I know my and your future. Let me tell you, our future as children of God is bright. The future that 
that we have in God is good. It's a place of restoration. It's a place of healing. It's a place of hope because we have now have a new position. See, David invited him to the king's table. Look at verse number 11 with me. The Bible says, Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant. And so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Like one of the king's sons. You're a son of the king. You're a daughter of the king. You're a child of God. You can hold your head up high. You don't need to fear man. You just now walk in the fear of the awesomeness of your God, the God who goes before you, the God who goes behind you, the God who is above you, the God who is below you. You're a child of God. First John chapter 3, the writer, the great revelator of Jesus Christ says it like this. See what great love the Father has lavished. He's lavished. Some of you feel so in love today. Some, of you, some, some come into this room and you have such hurts today. Last week, I was talking to a man, and he was telling me about how he was estranged from his son. And his son was blaming the issues and the problems of his life on his father's failure. I wanted to tell that man, God has lavished his love on you. God has a preferred future for you. He now calls you his child. And that is now what we are, dear friends. We are children of God. You're a child of God today. You're a child of God with all the rights and the privileges that are available to us who live in his home. Now look at one more thing in verse number 13. And the Bible says that Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem in the house of David because he always ate at the Lord's table. He always ate at the king's table. That's the last thing I want you to see. But he was lame at both feet you know what that tells us he carried that lameness you will carry the mark of sin you will carry it you'll carry the mark of failure Uh, you inside of you there will always be this potential for you to turn from the father's table there will always be that potential but let me tell you what grace says grace says I carried you to this table I can keep you at this table You can't do it on your own. You need that grace. You can never exhaust the depth of the grace and the love that God has for you. You just can't. You can't fail enough. You just can't. Or you can make messes of your life, but that grace of God is continually available. Grace carried this man to the master's table. You know what that tells me? He didn't get there on his own. He didn't get there on his own. Galatians 6.1 says, carry one another's burdens. Carry one another's burdens. We need God. We need his grace. We need God's grace because we're his children on a daily basis. But it ain't just on a daily basis. It's got to be the air that I breathe. The air that I breathe must be the grace of God. It must be the love of God. But we need one another. This relationship with God works like this. And when it's in proper alignment and his late graces at work in us, and we're at the master's table and we're having all that we need to eat, that grace begins to flow out like this. And then we become a place of grace, a house of grace, a house of hope, 
a house of forgiveness. Because there are people that are walk that are sitting right next to you that are carrying the shame of their past, the brokenness of relationships, the addictions they found themselves trapped in. They walked in here today and they needed to hear this message. There is a God of grace who brings us to his table and he gives us all that we need to eat. And he brings us to it in his home and he calls us a child of God with all the rights and the privileges of living as a free one, a set free one. Yes, we've been marked. Yes, we've failed. But now we're new people. We're new creations. We're a child of God, of the living king. Come on, someone said amen. Oh, today we need that grace. We need that grace. I need that grace. You need that grace. So what do we do with this today? Our worship team is going to come and we're going to sing the song in just a moment. And I've invited every service people to come to the altar. They, and there's a portion in the song there where they talk about the altar. And, and I don't know, we don't really, you know, we don't have a culture of altar per se. When I was a little boy, the church I grew up in used to have these wood altars. And, and I remember people would go down to the altars. They'd always call, we'd, they used to say, did you tarry at the altar? You know what that meant? Did you wait until you encountered God in his presence at the altar? You know what changed Mephibosheth as he was carried to the master's table? You know what that was called? Grace. He didn't deserve it. He didn't initiate it. He didn't work for it. He didn't do anything. He was simply carried there because of the kindness of, of the king. Today, some of you in this room, you got some junk and stuff, and y'all bless God. Man, you know, I can handle my man. We're just we're famous for fixing it. Dudes always just want to fix it. I can figure this out. And the more you figure it out, the mess just gets bigger. But today, you can't. But he can't. Whatever that is, whatever you're carrying. I, I, I mean, there's nothing magical about coming to the front and worshiping God, but. There's something that happens when you respond, you and I respond in faith. That was a good word today because that word was for me. I needed that today. I needed to hear that God's grace has carried me to the king's table just like he carries you. I, I might be far from God right now. I might need my faith restored and built, but grace is never far from me. Grace is never far. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. My grace is available and sufficient for you. Oh, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what's going on. You don't know the struggle. And I've asked and asked, and nothing seems to change. Paul's praying and praying and praying and praying, and nothing seems to change. You're like knocking on the brass doors of heaven. Nothing seems to change. And then God has this one word, grace. Grace, 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 my grace is sufficient for thee. God's grace is sufficient for you today. Whatever you're walking through, he's the one who changes you. He changes us from the inside out. He brings us to his table. We will never lack. We'll always have enough to eat because we sit at the king's table. And that's what this altar time is. As the worship team begins to lead us, we're going to stand and Man, I didn't have you raise your hand. and I'm just asking for some of you that are hungry today. And you feel the tug. You feel the pull. You feel that desperate need for more of God's grace. I'm going to ask you to just come and join us right down here in the front. 
And as we sing of that, that great exchange that Christ made on the cross for you and I, we're going to encounter that grace. We're going to encounter his presence that brings change as we stand at the master's table. Come on, stand with me this morning. Come on, stand as we begin to worship the Lord. Hallelujah.